0: Go to shopify.com/sonoro to take your business to the next level today. shopify.com/sonoro
1: Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: People are still dying. We lost our deputy vice chancellor. We lost a deputy dean at university. And the numbers keep on increasing, but we are behaving as if everything is back to normal. It's heartbreaking because we're now at
3: our days where we've had over 200 deaths a day. despite having some of the highest vaccine rates in the
4: world. There is a global plan, but we don't have a collective ownership in terms of what we need to do to get there. It's disjointed, it's confusing, and that's unfortunate because everything that we have in terms of our tools could prevent infections, it can save lives, and it can open up our economies. So everything that we need to do right now is economically smart, it's scientifically smart, it's morally smart, it's ethically smart, and we're just not doing it. I keep getting asked, what are you gonna do when this pandemic is over? I'm like, oh, holy hell, let's just get through this one. And, you know, I'm going to kind of go back to preparing for the next one. But let's do it better.
5: Welcome to the Global Goals Cast, the podcast that explores how we can change the world. And in this episode, will the world finally get its act together on COVID-19?
6: This situation is a definition of tragedy. We know what to do to end this pandemic. We have the tools and the knowledge, but we're not
5: getting it done. And as a result, people are still dying in large numbers all over the world. And it doesn't have to be this way. When we come
6: back, we will hear health officials in Africa and Latin America describing the continuing spread of COVID-19
5: and a top officer of the World Health Organization will share her frustration at all that is not being done. You can really hear how
6: frustrated and upset they are. Their tears are painful to listen to, but we must hear them. It is important. So stay with us,
7: we will be right back. This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by our listeners. That's right, listeners like you who care about the future. Please spread the word. Tell your friends about Global Goalscast. Hit the like and subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music.
6: Welcome back.
5: I'm Claudia Romo-Edelman. And I'm Edie Lush. Claudia, this episode breaks my heart. We listened in again to the pandemic briefing by Dr. David Navarro, the special envoy for COVID-19 of the World Health Organization. He convenes public health workers from all over the world to compare notes and share stories about the pandemic. These briefings have been so valuable, and this
6: is why we've been sharing them with you, our dear listeners to Global Golfcast. But Edie,
5: This time around, there was something different, isn't it? Yes, it was almost as if the stress just finally boiled over. I must say, even I am having trouble coping with all the contradictions and inequities. In some rich countries, they're celebrating as if the pandemic is finished. And it is happening
6: here in the city where I live in New York. There's a natural desire to just to go out and hug people and celebrate. They were shooting already of the fireworks here in New York and we're planning a parade. But national healing, city healing,
5: family healing doesn't mean that we have to be globally blind. Yeah. And you're going to get that when you hear what we heard at the pandemic briefing. The pain, the frustration started pouring out of these professional health workers. Starting with this exchange between Dr. Navarro and a nutrition expert in Chile, who we've heard before on Global Cast.
8: I do want to go to Rebecca Canta in Santiago. You are watching what's happening there, and it is super complex and hard to understand if you're an outsider. Particular suburbs in Santiago have had stubborn COVID transmission that's proved to be really hard To dislodge and there are insecurity issues there are hunger issues and yet you know this is a very rich country compared with some others around the world so it's not easy i'm not asking you to go into the department of politics rebecca but any thoughts about where things are now in your country
3: thank you it's it's hard not to go into the department of politics at this point We're allowed to go outside between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. on weekdays and 5 a.m. and 10 a.m. on weekends. And this is something that started in March of 2021 after very strict lockdown. And just as of a week ago, the entire metropolitan region is under lockdown. And when I mean lockdown, I mean very strict lockdown outside of two permission slips a week to go outside. And so how you can disaggregate that from the socio-political
5: climate here, I don't know. There is a lot going on in Chile. Chile is rewriting its constitution from the Pinochet era. People are looking for something that's more equitable. But those changes will take time and the COVID crisis is underway now. Trust in government
6: is low, the lowest. Only 2% of Chileans trust political parties. Can you imagine Mm. that? There is anger there. Combined with lockdown and rising rates of infection, it is really tough.
3: We also had elections again last Sunday for governors here for the first time in Chile ever. And there's been a lot of talk again about having people gather during elections, but also the results of those elections and how they're very reflective of everything that's gone on really starting since the social crisis in October of 2019 onward. So again, it's just a large social-political earthquake and I can't take political out of that earthquake. I, I, I can't at this point. It's heartbreaking because we're now at our days where we've had over 200 deaths a day. These are not mortality rates that we saw last year, despite having some of the highest vaccine rates in the world. Our worst journey has come during our time of high vaccination rates. Yeah, and we've been in strict lockdown more than probably the rest of the world since March, 2020. And every day I see more and more local restaurants closing. And to me, someone who works in public health nutrition, it is heartbreaking.
6: So painful. And such a
5: reminder that this pandemic is far from over. I get chills listening to her. And that was just the beginning. After Rebecca Cantor's report from Chile, we then heard from Megan Mutepva, a professor at the University of Botswana in Gaborone.
2: People are still dying, especially in Greater Gaborone in the capital city. We lost our deputy vice chancellor. We lost a deputy dean at university. And the numbers keep on increasing, but we are behaving as if everything is back to normal. Someone was saying that we need to keep on practicing public health measures. It seems certain quarters are relaxing now because the places where you go and there's no one by the door to give people sanitizer or take temperatures. So I think people are slaking down or Maybe we can call it uh, public COVID fatigue. And some people are even planning to go on holiday and they think they need to socialize. They should get back to normal because this is not going to end. So some people have just decided to live normally and forget or ignore this COVID. And vaccinations, only 23,000 have been fully vaccinated but 151,000 are waiting for the second dose.
8: Well, must be very frustrating. Yeah.
5: It's important that we all realize how much danger the world is still in. Here, where I am in the UK, where we thought we had a grip on things, the Prime Minister has now had to extend restrictions because this Delta variant, the one that was first identified in India, began spreading where vaccination is low. None of us are safe until we are all safe. We will see those
6: resurgence again and again unless we act in a more organized, global and
5: effective way. And Claudia, it's not just you and me saying that. To describe that need for coherent global action, Dr. Navarro brought a special guest to his briefing. She's one of the World Health Organization's top officers.
8: Maria van Kerkhove is one of my absolute, absolute, absolute heroes. She leads the epidemiology of COVID. In fact, she leads the whole technical work inside the emergencies program at WHO. She's often featured in the press conferences by WHO and on WHO tweets. She's fearless and I asked her to come along and just tell us what she's feeling at the moment if she would like to.
4: Thanks, David. And thanks for inviting me to this. It's really a pleasure to to join. I think right now my feeling on the global situation and the situation that we're in is frustration, is in some respects anger, and in some respects hopeful, but overall uncertain. Because we have everything that we need right now to really end the acute phase of this, and we're not doing it. We don't have a complete global plan. Let me rephrase. There is a global plan, but we don't have a collective ownership in terms of what we need to do to get there. It's disjointed, it's confusing, and that's unfortunate because everything that we have in terms of our tools can prevent infections, it can reduce the spread, it can prevent people who are infected from developing severe disease and dying, and it can save lives, and it can open up our economies. So everything that we need to do right now is economically smart it's scientifically smart it's morally smart it's ethically smart and we're just not doing it and so that's what frustrates me so right now the narrative is vaccines 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 and while vaccines and vaccinations are an incredibly powerful tool we've completely forgotten about everything else that works and i feel that frustration in fact some some very prominent leaders you know told me yesterday they said we need to talk about the public health and social measures more and i said i welcome any voices that will come out there to give it that space to be able to talk about all of that. And there's reasons why we're not, you know, the the uncertainty that I feel is fourfold. One, we've got these virus variants. We've allowed this virus to spread globally. The virus is evolving. It's changing. It's expected. None of this is a surprise. And now it's evolving to the sense that it's more transmissible, which is expected because viruses become more fit. But the Delta variant is more transmissible than the Alpha variant, And that's the alpha variant was incredibly effective at taking over. Secondly, we have inconsistent use of public health and social measures, not linked to data, not linked to local level, time bound, targeted. I'm not talking about lockdown. When I say public health and social measures, that does not mean lockdown. And we've seen country after country use these in a strategic way, tailored, time bound. You know, they're not being used appropriately in my view. Third is that we have massive increases in social mixing. People want to get back to their normal life. Social mixing includes family barbecue, it includes birthday party, it includes massive political rallies, you know, sporting events, religious events, and we have lastly uneven and inequitable vaccine distribution. If we had actually used the 2.3 billion doses administered so far for those who are most at risk, for those who are our frontline workers, which is what the vaccines are intended for, we would be in a very different situation. So we have a haves and a have-nots. We have these tracks that's happening. I have friends and family in the U.S. right now that are planning their vacations, that are planning their holidays. It's done, they're over, they're fine. They've all had their vaccines, their two doses, down to 12-year-olds, whereas we have people around the world who are dying because they haven't had those vaccines yet. And so I'm frustrated and I'm angry. What I'm trying to do every day is turn that anger and that energy into something productive. And again, I'm in a very privileged position to work at WHO, which I'm so proud to work. We have our faults, we're not perfect, but I work with incredible people here and in countries and in regions. I work with literally thousands of scientists every single day on every part of the planet, in every discipline that you can think of, even disciplines that we didn't work with as prominently before that we did in the beginning, some of which have been incredibly vocally aggressive towards me in particular. And I'm grateful for that because I have an opportunity to make that change. So we opt to be better, we opt to do more but we need to just not do more for the sake of more. It needs to be strategic and it needs to be intelligent and it needs to help people. So that's our goal. So I've got a lot of mixed feelings, David, as you know, but the situation is fragile and the trajectory of this is still in our hands. I do think that we can get transmission down to a very low level. It could become endemic in that sense, but I hate the word endemic and David knows this. I hate the word because to me, I resist almost using it because it feels almost like a white flag like we've lost but it you know being endemic doesn't mean that it's circulating everywhere all the time and so it means that we can get it down to a low level and vaccines and vaccinations and you know some targeted measures can get us but it didn't have to be like this and my biggest worry is that we haven't learned the lessons now so high income countries that didn't have a good public health infrastructure in place have not made the necessary changes to be better the next time around There's a lot of good efforts and there's a lot of good emphasis, but it's not enough. And I, for one, would like to see training sessions being done by uh, individuals from Asia, from Africa into high-income countries to teach about contact tracing, to teach about case management, to teach about detection. There's a whole new world order here on how we deal with infectious diseases. And I think that if we don't make those changes now while we're in the thick of it, we're never going to do it. So as an organization and as a public health professional, all of us need to link the health with the economy because it's not an either or and we need to do a better job of selling the reason why this is important because unfortunately saving lives just isn't enough of an incentive. And it's a sad thing to say, but it's about our economies and we if we can have productive people that live through this, that contribute to society, that add to the innovation that are part of the solution. And as David has said, it's about engaged, empowered, enabled people. I keep getting asked, what are you going to do when this pandemic is over? I'm like, oh, holy hell, let's just get through this one. And, you know, I'm going to kind of go back to preparing for the next one, but let's do it better.
8: What is the one thing that we, concerned citizens, most of us in jobs that are linked to development and health, some of us with a little bit of influence. What's your big wish of us, if you have one, or make it as many as you like?
4: So how much time you got? I don't know, fight like hell. Do everything that you can in the role that you have. Every single one of us is a leader. Every single one of us and the people that we work with are leaders. I hate this idea that it's only the the older white gentlemen in a certain number of countries that have the leadership roles. Every single one of us has a role to play. And I see that power in numbers. And if we could find some way to have that seat at the table, to be present, to be vocal, to offer solutions, to be part of the solution, we should do it. So I don't know what everybody on the line here does, but I imagine every single one of you can contribute a great deal. And I think we have to keep trying. I mean, I (laughs) I kind of motivate myself to get out of bed every day too, as I'm sure you guys do as well. But find the ways where we can move the needle a little bit, like a little bit more. And I think we should be, I think, a little bit outside of the box. Clearly, what we have been doing over the last you know, several decades is not working. And mm-hmm. I am not going back. So I hope none of you are moving back to the way it was before this pandemic and going back to the roles that you had. I hope you're thinking about what is the role that you have now and how do you enhance that better? There's a gravitational force right now i feel it even in my job here i'm like okay let's go back to the normal let's go back to the programmatic work and sorry i'm not doing that it doesn't mean i'm leaving i'm not going anywhere i drank the kool-aid i want to be here at who but what is it that i can do to kind of push things a little bit further so everybody all of us need to think about how we do that reach out to different groups we've done a lot of work with youth groups and with young people i draw a lot of inspiration from my 10 year old
8: i was going to say you're never ever distancing yourself from what your kids yeah. are saying.
4: And, and my 10-year-old asks questions that are a lot tougher than the press asks because you can't pivot away from a 10-year-old's question. I'm very good at pivoting these days, but you huh. can't do that with a 10-year-old. <laughs> and I think it's a conscious decision we have every day of what we can do.
8: We really do. When you wake up in the morning, you're probably going to make at least 100 conscious decisions during the day and many other unconscious ones. And you can do a little bit of talking to yourself about how you're going to these decisions. It's how I, I watch you do that. You basically set the dial at the beginning and you say, I'm going to achieve stuff.
4: You know, somebody told me once when I was, I don't remember where it was, it wasn't my parents, but it was someone that was, it, it struck with me. It says, if you're going to fail, fail big. Wow, we did that is so
6: heavy. She is so right about the need for all of us to rethink how to come back. I think that we're losing it in a way.
5: Yeah. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what each of us can do to be part of the global
7: solution. At Global Goalscast, we're all about solutions. This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by our listeners. That's right. Listeners like you who care about the future. Please spread the word. Tell your friends about Global Goalscast. Hit the like and subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music. Welcome back,
5: Claudia. I really get it why these health workers are so angry and frustrated. The rich world is acting like it's all okay.
6: Well, it's somehow normal. We're acting like let's get this party started because people have been so, so long in such a dark place that what people really want to do is just get back to life. But it is hard, actually, not to get, you know, like absolutely blind about the rest of the world, forgetting that if we don't fix the rest of the world, we're going to go back to darkness.
5: Mm. All that talk about the roaring 20s that's still to come, all that feeling of being cooped up for so long. Yet we can't have a party, not yet. What we do need now is unity around a global plan. And Dr. Nabarro says that that plan has several key points.
8: People are the solution was one. Public health defenses are essential to hold it at bay is two. You respond with what people actually need rather than what you think they ought to need. So you actually connect with people where they really are. You focus on those at highest risk with all your tools, including vaccines, which are remarkably good shielding tools for particular groups of people. You're clear on what to prepare for, because you study the patterns and you understand how the outbreaks are evolving, and you become much clearer on what the shapes of the outbreaks are like. You talk a little bit of good epidemiology, and you respond with the whole of government and the whole of society. You don't just respond with one part or another part. And lastly, number seven, you need an all-round equitable, adapted, integrated programme. A programme that is recognisable globally, recognisable nationally, recognisable locally. And then we've got a chance of pulling together. And right now, we haven't quite got there.
5: So one major source of frustration and disappointment was clear. The G7, the club of the world's most developed countries, has just met and offered a plan to help the rest of the world through the pandemic.
8: So How well did the G7 do last weekend? Well, they talked about it and they said, inverted commas, we will vaccinate the world by the end of next year. And they said we will arrange to gift a billion doses over the next 12 months but there was a bit of a problem. Number one, they did not take responsibility for responding. It was as though they're gifting out of the generosity of their own hearts and the hearts of their people to some anonymous entity that's somehow going to make sure that there is a fair and integrated response. But who's going to do it? Well, the World Health Organization gets talked about, but it's not empowered. It's not resourced. And actually, it's quite constantly being undermined. So we've got sort of in a void. Leaders of the seven big nations said, yes, we're gonna give a bit, but they didn't take responsibility. And that means that it'll be hard to call them to account. And I'm not sure who is gonna take responsibility. So I actually thought it was a pretty bad outcome last weekend. There was a lot of banging chests, we're good, but not enough responsibility.
6: We're too far along in this pandemic for such a bad outcome, according to David Navarro. Oh, itty, itty. Uh, this is really a grim moment and this is what people call a turning point where you can really have an outcome or yet another and I don't think that the G7 being so vague is going to help actually set up the example and the leadership of people that are looking global. Every one of those countries, I get it as well, they have their national priorities and people are healing and they're coming back to life and their economies are there. And nevertheless, it really would have been an incredible moment to take that global plan that exists and make sure that they took it and said, like, let's make
5: this an action plan where we take responsibility By the way, the same thing I think you could say from the G7 about climate. Leading up to the G7, statements from finance ministers, from environment ministers were encouraging, but the statement from our leaders was really short of the mark. And this is just ahead of COP26. To put it in the words of Cristina Figueres, the statement from the G7 was a peacetime statement. And we're not at peace. We should be at war with COVID-19 and with the harmful effects of climate change.
6: And so, Edie, let's talk about this idea of the false dawn or celebrating too early, because I really feel, and I am, I am one hundred percent part of it. I really feel that there's a need to come back for the Latino community. Our restaurants were were shut down. Our jobs, small business, as an entrepreneur, suffered in a way that was really about to break if they were not broken. So people are in dear need to go back, and there's a lot of desire actually to hug people. And there's going to be a parade happening. And Governor Cuomo announced that New York he was removing all COVID nineteen restrictions that's happening in Chicago open three days ago and pretty much at the brink of actually going back to normal. One, all the discussions that we had about coming, building back better, about coming back in a different way, they're gone. People just want back. Mm. And so all those thoughts and all those reflections about telemedicine, about actually going back, they're gone. And I have a feeling that people just need to submerge themselves in humanity. But I get it, it's a very complex situation. Even in places like New York, 90% of vaccination happens, but just in certain neighborhoods. So if you're, I don't know, in Upper East or in downtown, you might have like most of the people vaccinated. But if you're in other areas where there's vaccination hesitancy, like the Bronx or others, there might be actually in 30%. And those are the areas of risk where the
5: Delta variant can come and hit again. And that's what Maria was talking about. You can't separate the health issues from the economic issues. It's completely intertwined. We also can't just vaccinate our way out of this crisis. So if we zoom in on Chile, Rebecca was talking about Chile earlier. There's an article in Science Magazine recently about the relationship between wealth and whether you get COVID. COVID spread from the wealthy neighborhoods to the poorer ones. And now, in Chile and parts of Santiago, COVID is a disease of the poor and the young, hospitalizing and killing more people in the poorer areas. And this is happening while vaccination rates are actually pretty high. And they're increasing, but they're increasing unevenly. And it's the same issue all around the world. So you can really see why people are so angry. The inequity that exists in healthcare, care and whether you get a vaccine, it's tangible. And in Chile at the moment, people have been voting for change. David asked Rebecca, you know, can you divorce politics from COVID? And she couldn't. That constitutional vote for change. People worried about their pensions, their health, their education. You can't disentangle it from the inequity that they're feeling about the impact from COVID as well. So man, the struggle, the emotion is real. Part
6: of the message that we heard today is that we cannot leave it on just a couple of leaders to decide on the fate of the planet. If we're really at a crossroad, if we are really going to demonstrate that humankind is at best We have to take it on ourselves, each and every one of us, to not forget every time that you feel like forgetting everything, just going back to life and celebrating every time that you think you want to forget that there's a bigger world, that we're all interconnected. Think again, talk again, do something again. Every one of us has the responsibility and the power to do a bit. We're doing our bit by bringing this to your conscious, to your ears by bringing you the pros and the cons so you can take decisions and take conscious decisions about being a global citizen, what it means and what it means to you to live a balanced life that actually needs healing and needs human contact as well. This is our planet, we have a chance to do it and we will demonstrate the best of humanity that we can do.
5: Creating the courageous collective here at Global Goals Cath. And with that, Claudia, I think we should go to Facts and Actions. And for that, we are going to our friend, Regina Larco in Hong Kong.
9: I am Regina Larco, founder of Hashtag Impact, a podcast about stuff that matters. At Hashtag Impact, we laid down our roots in Hong Kong. But now our network of incredible women co-hosts is based in four continents. At hashtag impact, we bring you inspiring stories from everyday changemakers. From veteran, NGO experts, to those who have discovered their passion for social entrepreneurship just recently. We believe everyone, anyone, can make an impact. We are currently airing season 5, focusing on the sustainable development goals. And Global Goals Cast has been such a huge inspiration on our journey. Here, are our three facts that you can show off with with your mother-in-law over dinner and three actions you can take today to make an impact. Fact number one. As of June 6th, for most Asian countries, there have been fewer than 40 vaccine doses administered per 100 population. Taking into account that almost all vaccines require two jabs, this means a far smaller percentage have been fully vaccinated. Many people are hesitant to use the vaccines and there's not enough public demand to get the jab in quite a few countries. In Hong Kong, we have a vaccine surplus with not enough people receiving the jab. And there's even lottery incentives, including the opportunity to win a housing flat to encourage people to get the vaccine. Fact number two. COVID 19 has resulted in not only drastic implications for public health, but also in a surge in racism. We're seeing a sharp uptick in attacks, both verbal and physical, against people of Asian descent. The US based nonprofit Stop AAPI Hate received over 2,800 incident reports of racist attacks in 2020. Fact number three. COVID-19 has set back our global path to advancing the SDGs by the year 2030. The increase in poverty, joblessness and unemployment, homelessness, lack of access to sanitation and adequate nutrition, among many other factors. COVID-19 was a huge negative shock to the economy and to our society's progress on greater equality and inclusion. Action number one support your local advocacy and legal rights support groups in raising awareness and helping to continue the conversation in hong kong there are organizations such as the justice center or the zubin foundation that one can engage with action number two report hate incidents don't look the other way don't think your voice won't matter when in fact it does One place to report hate incidents is stopaapihate.org. Action number three, and this one might be the quickest and easiest one, but very impactful one. Share this podcast. If more people will listen, they will start to care and understand how they can make their own impact too. Edie, Claudia, thank you so much for all the inspiration over the years. We love your podcast so much. Thank you, Regina, for those
5: facts and actions. We love you too. Thank you so much for being with us, dear listeners. And a huge thanks to David Nabarro, Twee, Catherine, everyone at 4SD, as well as the folks from LivePens who live illustrate David Nabarro's briefings. We've loved having this partnership with you. If you like this episode, please give us five stars, share us on your social networks, and subscribe. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to Nazim for his music that's going to play you out of the podcast.
10: Oh, what a shame. Misinformation. Beginning up. Creates another problem. To the solution. Solidarity is the only way. Only way. Don't you know
7: Global Goalscast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Cooperwriter. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music, one of the world's leading production music companies, creating and licensing music for film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Krone, and Andrew Phillips. Thanks also to CBS News Digital.
10: We can survive Test, trace, isolate, protect It's the only way we can stem the time
1: Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and establish small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
5: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner.